You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning again. Good to see you all in this morning. A couple of weeks ago, when I was speaking, I was speaking um, on a passage from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. And I was talking about the arrival of the rich young man to Jesus. And I was asking the question, was God good? And the answer is, all the time. God is good and he's good all the time. But that sometimes means that we don't experience good things that we think are happening, but it doesn't change the very nature of who God is. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's what we were looking at the last time. Because he came to Jesus and he said to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Or as Matthew Henry, the Bible commentator said, he asked what he could do now so that he would be happy forever. Does anybody here want to be happy forever? I want to be happy forever. Just before I do, good morning, by the way, to Cafe Church. Hope you're happy with your cappuccinos this morning. Um, I want to look a little bit further. I want to continue on that story this morning in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Um, and I call this morning's message the bargain of a lifetime. Because sometimes we miss the opportunity to get the bargain of a lifetime. I remember when I was a kid, always listening to my father and my mother talking about how they bought their houses, how they bought homes for like five euros each back when they were children. And we think, how did that happen? No, they cost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times that. And it seems like everybody seemed to get every bargain and I seem to miss all of the bargains. That's the truth, but I've never been a great bargain hunter. I've always missed all the bargains, except for when it came from my wife, I got the bargain of a lifetime there. Amen. I can tell you, lads, bargain of a lifetime. Ah, the poor woman. <sighs> but you know, I've always been somebody who misses the bargains. You know, people say, there was a bargain, there was a bargain. You, you met, what an opportunity to invest, or what an opportunity to go here, or what an opportunity to do this or that. And I invariably would miss out on this bargain of a lifetime. And I think that this guy in the story also missed the bargain of a lifetime. I'm going to look at the verses again. We're going to be looking at these 10 verses. I don't know when I get to all 10 verses, but we'll certainly make our best effort. Dan? Dan, would you give me a clock, would you mind? We'll say, we'll say, would an hour and a half be okay? You might give me 22 minutes, okay? We're going to keep it nice and short, okay? So when 22 minutes starts, I'm just going to disappear because I'm just a hologram on the stage, all right? Anyway, we're going to be looking at these verses in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. And what I want to do is I'm going to look at the end part of where I finished up last time round, and I want to pick it up from there. Is that Okay. So we're looking at this passage, we're talking about Jesus and he's talking to this rich young man and he says something interesting to him. After he came to him and he said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, look, you know the commandments, obey the commandments. And he said, but I did all of these things before. I, I, I've done all these things since I was a child. And this is the next passage recorded in Mark's gospel. It says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. I like the way that Jesus could have made it very easy and say to him, well, if you want to have eternal life, just ask me into your heart. Or just pray this simple prayer that I've prayed. Or, uh, if you want to have eternal life, just, just believe and everything will be fine. He actually said to him, if you really, really do want eternal life, if you really do, here's what you need to do. And that prescription, as I was talking about the last time, can be different for all of us. 
For some of us, it is literally, we must sell all we have and give to the poor. Very few, very very few people for whom that has been true. But for others of us, there have been things in our life that we would have to sell or get rid of or divest ourselves of, to remove from our lives so that we could inherit eternal life. But I love the next verse, and this is where I want to kick in today. It says this of the young man, it says, At this, the man's face fell And he went away sad because he had many possessions. Now he's the only man recorded, as I said a couple of weeks ago in the Bible, who came to Jesus happy and went away sad. Everybody else came sad and went away happy. Everybody else came sick or infirm or in need of forgiveness or healing or something. And they went away happy. But this man arrives happy. He's doing okay, thank you very much. And he leaves Sad. And I like the little clause that it says that he went away sad because he had many possessions. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem to me to be the recipe for sadness. Sadness and having many possessions don't tend to go together. Certainly, I would have thought that having lots of possessions would be the source of happiness, wouldn't you think? I mean, that's certainly what our culture tells us. We are in an acquisitory culture, they say. It's in a culture where we acquire things and that our happiness is achieved through the acquisition of various things, whether that be education, whether that be money, whether that be investments or products, or whether it be homes or material objects. We live in an acquisitory climate. We live in a market economy. And when the market is alive, it means that we are buying things and doing things. So theoretically it goes that true happiness is found in having many possessions. And yet this man who has many possessions, goes away sad. Uh, Why? Because despite having all of his possessions, despite having all the things that he could ever possibly want or need, he doesn't have the one thing that is really, really important. But I think he made a mistake. And the mistake he made was this. When he came to Jesus, he said, what must I do? Jesus said, go and sell all you have and give to the poor. But he missed a little clause in the middle of it. And the clause, when we go back into it, can be very visibly seen. He says, go and sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. That's thanks very much. That's just where I want all my treasure. Up in heaven, nice up there. But the clause that he'd offered him, the man had overlooked. You see, we think that Jesus was calling this man, and sometimes we think that calling this man was a call to be poor. But Jesus wasn't calling him to be poor. Jesus is not calling you to be poor. Would anyone say amen? Amen. He's actually calling you to be extraordinarily rich. Rich beyond your wildest imaginations. I see some of you look at me going, where is he going with this? But that is exactly what Jesus said to him. Go and get rid of the stuff that you have now, and then you will have tons of stuff. Go and get rid of all the junk that's cluttering up your life and stopping you from getting into the kingdom of God, and then you will have treasure in heaven. He doesn't want them to be poor. He wants them to be rich. And sometimes we look and go, oh, when Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, he must give up his life. Take up his cross and follow me. Do we do it because it's good for our souls? 
Do we do it because God wants us poor and hungry? No. What did Jesus do it for? He did it for the joy that was set where? Before him. Jesus didn't go to the cross because it was a kind of a fun thing to do or because it would do him a bit of good on the inside. This wasn't asceticism. Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. We're called to joy. Joy is insisted upon. And when Jesus calls this guy, he says, okay, you may, you may be getting rid of what you have now, but my goodness, are you going to have treasure in heaven? And treasure in heaven is a kind of a hard thing to put your hands on, isn't it? You see, for those who are standing there listening to what Jesus said to him, or even for this man himself, I think that he saw that what Jesus wanted him to do was to divest of his goods. Get rid of them. Eschew them. Get them out of his life. But Jesus, if we look at the scriptures properly, brothers and sisters, from cover to cover, God isn't telling us to divest. He's telling us to invest. He's saying to him, if you get rid of those, you are making an investment against your future. That was what he was doing. He wasn't saying divest. He was saying invest. Invest in me and invest in the kingdom of God. That's what he was asking him to do. He wasn't saying, oh, you need to go hungry and tired and thirsty and poor and naked and blind. No. He said, give what you have and you will have treasure in heaven. That's why Jesus told the parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found treasure hidden in a field. And in his joy, he went and sold how much of the stuff that he had? Everything. He sold all he had and he bought the field so he could get the treasure. The, you couldn't say that the guy was losing because he was going to get the treasure by selling everything that he had. And that's what Jesus was saying to this man. And to do that takes faith. Any investment you ever make takes faith. Because you don't necessarily at times know the outcome. Jesus was asking him, to have faith that even though he would be getting rid of all the things that make him secure now, he would have eternal security then. And it takes faith to invest, doesn't it, in anything you do. Whether it's your money and you put into an investment fund or you, 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 you buy stuff with it that may gain in value. But it's the same financially, you, you, invest. you invest in relationships, don't you? I mean, you invest in relationships because you put faith in a person that they're going to be there for you down along the line. Isn't that right? I mean, the day my wife said to me, I do, when, when, when she didn't say to me, she said to the guy who was marrying us, and it's a bit confusing, but the minute she put the ring on my finger, I offered her the wrong hand on the day, she should have gone for that one. But the minute she put the ring on the finger and said, I do, she was making an investment. She was, in some senses, taking a step of faith. She was saying, yeah, I think that this guy is kind of going to be okay to me. I wasn't taking any risks at all. I knew she was going to be good to me. But you invest. You invest. You know, if you decide that you're going to get exercise and improve your health, give me an example like that. It's an investment, isn't it? So you go and you run. Like I would go and I'd run sometimes, maybe run for five miles or six miles, or let's get it in kilometers. It sounds more impressive, 10K. So you might go out and run, but your running is not only for now, but it's an investment in the future. Now I might get a heart attack next Wednesday. Would anybody say, not say amen to that, okay? I probably won't get a heart attack next Wednesday, okay? But what I'm doing is I'm making an investment in my health for the future. Does that make sense? But I don't know what the future is. 
I don't know what way I'm going to wake up on Wednesday morning. You don't know what way you're going to wake up on Wednesday morning. It takes faith. I like this quote about faith. It says, well, you are going to work for me, aren't you? I like this quote about faith. Dan, would you mind putting up that quote about faith for me? Oh, yeah, the screen is, that's it. Thank you very much. That's what's wrong. Here we go. Up she comes. Faith is not knowing what the future holds, but knowing who holds the future. Who holds your future? Tom thinks God and Jesus hold his future, but the rest of us think that holds our future. Who here believes that God holds their future? Is there anyone in Cafe Church believes that God holds their future? I can see your hands. This is a two-way mirror. <laughs> who holds your future? Faith is not knowing what the future holds. It's knowing who holds the future. That's what it is. It's knowing that whatever happens to me, God has my future in hand. And when I invest in his kingdom, I'm investing in him. And when I invest in him, I never lose. I never lose. And Jesus was saying to him, to this rich young man, you'll never lose. Get rid of that and you will have treasure in heaven. You will never lose. But he couldn't do that. And we struggle to do that because we're so living in a no culture. And we so live in a culture that is present to us. And a, and a culture that involves, involves seeing things and understanding things and comparing things. That it's very hard for us to see beyond what's really happening right now in our lives. That's why Paul would later write to the Corinthians. He said, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, brothers and sisters. It's all temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Amen, Michael. Have you any bit of good news for us there, have you? It's all temporary, brothers and sisters. Your phone is temporary. Your youth and beauty are temporary. Would anyone say amen? amen. I was never beautiful, but I was young once. And it's gone. It's all temporary. Your home is temporary. This church building is temporary. That's temporary. This is all temporary. But what is unseen around us is eternal. And if we, what Jesus is saying to him, if you could only get rid of the temporary junk, you'd have plenty of treasure that is unseen and it is in heaven. Anybody want to invest in the bank of heaven? Uh, if I could have Citigroup instead, I'd prefer. That is where our investment, that's, that is our future. That's the future for all of us because you know what I'm saying? All the stuff that's temporary, we are temporary. This life is temporary. It's only temporary. It's not going to last forever. What was it said? What was the, what was the old saying? One short life, it will soon be past. Only that which is done for Jesus will last. One short life, it will soon be past. Only that which is done for Jesus will last. Thanks, Michael. Let's close in prayer now, will we? But it's true, guys. It's true. He went away sad. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said this to them. He said, Jesus looked around the disciples and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this amazed them. But Jesus said it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And all of us poor people say, Amen. It's great, boy. Suck it to the rich man. 
You ain't got what I got. You can give it to the rich fella. Yeah, go on, Lord. Judge him. Oh, yeah? Who's poor and who's rich? Huh? Who's poor and who's rich? Let me tell you something. That nobody in this room this morning is outside the top 10% richest people in the world. No one here is outside of that group. I'll go one better. Probably about half of us here are actually in the top 5% richest people in the world. Thank you, Brother Michael. Can you stop now? I'll go one better. A little handful of us, maybe to us, probably not me, I don't think so. Maybe about 10% of us in this room are living inside the top 1% richest people in the world. What? I mean, I don't have the richest. Who's the fellow who started Google, eh? or Microsoft? What's his name? Microsoft? Bill Gates. I, I, like, look, Bill Gates, like he's rich. Donald Trump, he's rich. Really rich. He's a rich guy. <laughs> but I'm not a rich person. Aren't you? Really? It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God because they have so much other stuff that they can depend upon. They don't need God. It's hard for them. It's actually easier for them, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You go, oh, seriously, Lord? That sounds pretty tough. But if you're in the top 1%, top 5% or top 10% richest people in the world, believe it or not, it may be hard for us also to enter the kingdom of God. When I say that, does it mean it's hard for us to be saved? No, because Jesus has done it all. Let me make my point. It's hard for God's rulership to take place in our hearts when we're so independent and we can do so much ourselves. That's why it's hard for God's rule. That's why Jesus said, every day you should pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where first? In here. That's where. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. I love what this guy says. His name is Randy Alcorn. I won't repeat his name again because it's a funny name around Cork, but there you go. He said this. He said, what you do with your resources in this life is your autobiography. What you're doing with your resources, whether they're the resources of your time, your talent, or your treasure, whatever your resources are, that's your autobiography. You're writing that story yourself. Whatever you're doing with your time, if you, let me, let me, let me give a, an example, maybe if you watch too much, I don't know, rugby. Let, let, Michael, turn the, turn the mirror. Imagine I watch too much rugby. Well, that's my autobiography. Dear beloved, it's lovely to be here at the funeral of Michael O'Donovan. He loved watching rugby. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If that's the autobiography of my life, I knew people who lived for the Liverpool Supporters Club. No, you can't say amen, no, okay? That was their life. But when did... Mm, that's the autobiography. I'm the greatest supporter of Liverpool. That is? Yeah, that's it really, like, I don't do a whole lot else. Or golf. No, and, and I'm not getting onto anybody's goat, no, okay? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of your life on a golf course. That's your autobiography. That's the story you're writing about your own life. What you do with your time, what you do with your resources, what you do with your energy. That is the autobiography you're writing about your own life. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of an eel than for a rich man 
to enter the kingdom of God. No, Jesus is obviously painting a clear picture of an absurdity unless you have a very large needle or a very small camel. And I don't think anybody has those. It's clear. Some people say that Jesus was talking about a rope. He was talking about a little gate that was in Jerusalem, which didn't even exist in the time of Jesus. So it wasn't that. It was literally just, look, a camel doesn't go through the eye of a needle. It so happened this week that my wife was at home sewing a button onto a shirt. It's such a homely girl. It's fantastic. Darling, will you please sew this button on my shirt? Yes, dear, of course. And anyway, she's, she's sewing a button on, on to, uh, not on my shirt, but on my son's shirt. So she's sewing a button on the shirt. And she's trying to put the needle into the thread. So she said, Michael... Would you, would you thread this needle for me? And of course, I immediately went, man, thread needle. It's a bit like when they say, I can't get this jar open. You go, excuse me, darling, let me add it. Man, open jar. You see, it's so different here. I mean, over here, that's about as far as you get. Man, thread needle or man, get jar. Man, reach up and bring down can of beans. Yes. You feel so manly. I mean, it's not like, I mean, if we were living in, I don't know, America or something, they'd say, honey, would you mind loading my AK-47 for me? Sorry. <laughs> honey, would you mind holding Bobby's little Glock 19? I think it's jammed. Anyway, over here in Ireland, it's, would you thread the needle? You know, it's like, yeah. So I said, yeah, <laughs> give me the needle and the thread. I've always been the thread man. You know, you kind of have to wet the thread first, you know? Nice big slob. Put on these glasses that are about as thick as the lenses on the average, on the average telescope on the glasses. There succeeded four minutes of doing this. I eventually said to her, "Is there a hole in this needle? Is there?" She said, yes, there is. So I looked again. I said, yeah, there's a hole there. Beep, beep. Ah, uh, Houston, we got a problem. We're coming into dock. <laughs> Slowly but surely, I got out of... It took me about four minutes, and eventually I got it through. She didn't notice. I went, here, it's done, honey. Like, I found it hard to thread. Thread through needle. What's it like for a camel to get through the eye of a needle? It's impossible. That's what he meant. It's just not possible. And I love the disciples, it says this, it says, the disciples were astounded. Who can be saved so? And you know, I've read, that, I've read this for 30 years, and I spent 20 years not understanding why it was that the disciples were going, what on earth? Like, if the rich fella can't get saved, like, who can get saved? The point was this, they believed that the riches were the sign of God's approval on this man's life. You see, that is how the Old Testament, they looked at Abraham, and they looked at Isaac, and they looked at Jacob, and all these guys who were righteous men, and they were also rich. So surely the standard must be that if somebody's righteous, God will bless him, and he will be rich, and he will be able to give more gifts to the poor. So they're going like, like if this guy isn't close to God, he's obeying all the commandments, and he's got loads of money. If he's got loads of commands, what I mean, how on earth are we supposed to get in? That's why they were astounded. How come, like, this is a good Jew. He's a good guy. He's one of the people who seems to really get on well with God. And he has loads of money. He gets on well with God. God gets on well with him. His life is blessed. Hallelujah. How come he can't get into the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus said, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Everything 
is possible with God. And you think about the righteous rich who follow Jesus, like Joseph of Arimathea. You think of um, Barnabas in the New Testament, who was a wealthy man, lived in Cyprus, owned loads of land in Cyprus. You think of Zacchaeus, who was a, who was a wicked man, who was a cheater. But he became one of the righteous rich. He was good and he divested himself. What do they all, what's this say about all of them? Joseph of Arimathea gave his tomb for Jesus to be buried. Paul, uh, Barnabas sold land in Cyprus so that he could support the early Christian church. Zacchaeus gave away a quarter of all of his income there and then, the minute Jesus came into his house. And it showed immediately that the kingdom of God had come into their lives. And when you think about all the impossibles that became possible in the presence of Jesus, the list is endless. Think about the dead people who were dead. It was impossible that they would live again. Uh-uh-uh. He's blind. It's impossible. He'll never see again. No way. That's not what Jesus says. He's deaf. He'll never hear again. That's not what Jesus says. She's a dirty, rotten sinner. Nobody will ever straighten her out. That's not what Jesus says. He continually went around making the impossible possible and that's why he's making the point here that you know when it comes to getting into the kingdom of heaven without jesus it's impossible for all of us none of us can enter the kingdom of heaven but for what jesus has done for us with man this is just impossible to get into the kingdom of heaven no matter how hard we try no matter how much we stuff we sell no matter how many ladders we climb no matter how many walls we knock down if we don't know jesus it doesn't matter it's impossible to get into the kingdom of God without him. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates this very same passage in the message. He says this, Jesus was blunt. There is no chance at all if you think you can put it off by yourself. But there's every chance in the world if you let God do it. Do you know when we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come? What we're praying for, in some senses, is God to make the impossible possible. Because I don't know about your heart, but I do know what the Bible says about our hearts, that they're not great places at the best of times for God to hang around. But we have to surrender our hearts to him and ask that his rule would happen in our lives. And ask that his rule would happen in the lives of the ones we love. So when I pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, I'm not really thinking about the guy from Unpost delivering the post. I'm thinking of my own family. I'm thinking of my own brothers and sisters. That's who I'm praying for. And I'm praying for the kingdom to come in me. And I know it's impossible for it to come. And when I look at some of those situations that I pray for, lads, truthfully, they're impossible. So long as it's left up to me, but with God, everything is possible. Does anybody have an impossibility that they say, Lord, would you please let this impossible become possible in the name of Jesus? Anybody got an impossibility? I've got several. I've got, got a list of them, about 20, 20 pages long of things they say, Lord, is it ever possible that this would come to pass in my life? Is it ever possible that your kingdom would come in this person's life or in that person's life? And above all else, I want to see the impossible happening in me that God's kingdom would come and rule and reign in all of my life. Amen. Amen. Does anybody want to say, Lord, let your kingdom come in all of my life? Will you stand with me? We're going to pray. Maybe the band will come up. We're just going to sing the song, What Are You Turned Into Wine? 
You open the eyes of the blind. He did the impossible. He took the impossible and he made it possible. When I think about the impossibilities that I have in my own life and in my own heart, I know that the only way that things will change is with the intervention of God. Whether it's the salvation of those that I love, whether it's the change in my own heart, to, change, to see things move and change in my own heart, my own stubborn attitudes. I know none of you have any stubborn attitudes. None of the things that are, can be like hard rocks in my soul. The only way I can see them ever being moved is by the presence of God and the power of God coming to work on me. Let's sing and then we'll pray. Water you turned into wine. Have we got life? We don't have life. Water you turn into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. possible person in your life you want to say Lord would you let your kingdom come because that person probably isn't praying for themselves you want to pray Lord let the impossible become possible in their life Lord I want to bring someone before you this morning and ask you that you touch life if you couldn't identify someone to whom you would say Lord let the impossible come would you raise your hand if you're here this morning and you say Lord I recognize that in my own heart your kingdom needs to come in other areas of my life, areas that people don't know about, that only I know about, or maybe those very close to me, Lord, I need you to come and change the impossibilities in my own heart and in my own life. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? Because with God, all things are possible. Hallelujah. If you're bringing a person before the Lord, or you're bringing yourself before the Lord, I'm going to ask you to bring that and bring yourself up here to the front of the room. And we'll bring these people and bring ourselves and our hearts and our situations. Let's bring our impossibilities before God this morning as we pray and as we sing. I'm going to invite you to come forward. Let's bring our impossibilities before God this morning. Water you turn. Water you turn into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. Yes, Lord. None like you. Into the darkness you shine. And out of the ashes we rise. There's no you would you lift that person up before the Lord 
you know what if you'd lift that person up before the Lord with your right hand just raise them up before the Lord and then if it's in your own heart your own impossibilities you look at an impossible situation how will I pay for that how will I get a breakthrough there how will I meet that perfect person for a relationship with me how will I get that job how will I get that course how will I make those exams if you're bringing up that impossibility would you raise your left hand before the Lord as well let's pray Lord I thank you that what is impossible for people is possible for God would anyone say amen and Lord even when we look at people who are obstinate and refusing to want to know your kingdom Lord that right now looks like an impossible situation some people here are praying for friends brothers sisters wives husbands children Lord we bring them all before you Lord and we ask you Lord would you bring them into your kingdom in Jesus name Lord would you break through into their lives Lord and change them Lord Jesus and let them meet the real risen Jesus Christ Lord I pray that those who are even knowing their lives counting the cost Lord would sum up and realize that this life is short and it will soon be done Lord, we pray that they would have an eternal perspective. Lord, we pray that you would awaken the souls of the people that we love to an eternal perspective in Jesus' name. And God's people said, we leave them in your hands. Lord, for ourselves. Lord, we bring our own hard cases, the ones that are in our hearts and in our lives, the hard cases of closed doors, the hard cases of hardness of heart in, our, in ourselves, Lord, the hard cases of provision, Lord, the hard cases of education, a relationship or opportunity, Lord. Lord, we ask you, would you do the impossible for us in Jesus' name? Lord, you are the one who holds the key. What you open, no man can shut. Lord, we ask you that you would open the doors and windows of heaven on our situations, Lord. Lord, let that which is declared impossible become possible and Lord we stand upon the testimonies of thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians who were told that what they want what they longed for what they hoped for that the door that they wanted to open was impossible but God had other plans Lord we pray that your other plans your best plan would come to pass for us for our loved ones and for our lives in Jesus name and God's people said into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you Yes, Lord None like you all to lift our hands as we close in prayer this morning. Let's all lift our hands. I pray this week that God would take the im out of your impossible this week. Would anyone say amen? 
Lord, we pray this week that your hand would be upon us over every threshold that we step over, through every door we go through, in every encounter with other people we have. We ask, Lord, that the impossible would become possible this week, Lord. We pray, Lord, for breakthroughs in our own heads and hearts and lives, in our workplaces and in our schools and in our homes, Lord. Take the im out of our impossible this week, Lord. And let your kingdom come. And let your will be done. For yours really is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance and give you his peace this week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless and keep you guys. The band are going to play us out. We're serving tea and coffee upstairs. We'll see you again at the 12 o'clock service. And on Tuesday night, God go with you. Amen.